you weren't with us last week, we launched into a sermon series that's going to carry us through the summer, and it's got two titles. The first title is for those of you who grew up in a more traditional environment for church. It's going to be really comfortable for you to hear this. It's called First Peter. We're walking through First Peter, and we're going to patiently do that and let the Word of God speak to us. But if you're comfortable with a more relevant kind of contemporary name, it's called Built Different. Somebody say, I'm Built Different. I'm Built Different. It's what the kids are saying these days, guys. It's about... There's another level to what God is building in my life, and it doesn't look like the rest of the world around me, and that's okay. One of the main themes of 1 Peter is how Christians are called to look different in the world, that we are in the world, but we're not of the world. And one of the other themes is that we're being built up as what he calls living stones, that the church God was building 2,000 years ago when Peter penned this letter was not about buildings being built up where people were going to gather. It was about minds and hearts that were being surrendered so that Jesus could come in and make the people of God holy and make the people of God different and make the people of God look like they are the set-apart people of God that he calls them. Because the marker of the people of God, because of the Holy Spirit of God, is not that they belong to the people of Israel or some kind of ancestry or lineage that leads back to Abraham. No, it's about the blood of Jesus uniting humanity. And the marker that the blood of Jesus has had its effect on your life is that you are living a holy life that you're living a set-apart life, that you don't look like the world around you. So here's what God's doing at ACC. God is building our church. And in a season where we are literally building a ginormous building just a few miles away in a construction site where deep work is being done, that's a great mental picture, but you need to know this. God is not building our church out there on Hamilton Road. God is building our church in our own minds and hearts wherever the Holy Spirit of God is going out. And watch, when you build something, you have to grade and uproot something. Some of you have driven by Hamilton Road, you know all about this. You've got to dig up some things so that the new thing being planted can actually go in and go up. I want to tell some of you this summer is going to be less about the, the big thing that God wants to reveal in your life and more about the deep work of unearthing what you have left unaddressed for too long. Doing the deep work of going, hey, we've got to talk about this. Hey, you still have this agreement in your spirit with the old you? And we got to address it because, not because you got to earn your identity before God, but because you already have it. That's what last week was. Peter calls the people of God over and over again in this letter, chosen exiles. That's the weirdest paradox. It means you couldn't belong more to the family of God. Like it, it, it is not physically possible or spiritually possible for you to be more in if you are a believer. And at the exact same time, you cannot fit in at all in the world around you that you exist in. Like, you cannot belong less. Like, you do not belong. You are weird in this world. Some of y'all need to know. You're a Christian, and you're like, finally, my weirdness makes sense. Yes, it's biblical, okay? You fit in in the family of God, but you live in a world where you stand out, and it looks strange. You spend your money different. You spend your affection different. You talk different. You walk different. You pray different. You sing different. You look different. Because we're built different from the inside out by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what Peter did last week is he established some identity things where we ask the question, how do I know this is true about me? It's easy for me to get up here and go, First Peter was written to Christians who were dispersed throughout the Greco-Roman world 2,000 years ago. And now we're reading it 2,000 years later as Christians, so this book is to us. But is it really? Like, I just wanted to stop everybody and go, hey, this might not be written to you right now. Because you might think you're a believer in Jesus, but you're actually not. 
Some of the main markers of what it means to be a believer in Jesus is that you have embraced what Jesus has done to bring you into the family of God, but you've also embraced a lifestyle that looks different than where the rest of the world is going. So if you claim to be a part of the chosen group of people who have been bought by the blood of Jesus, but your life looks like everybody else's life, you should start asking the question of whether or not you're a part of the chosen group of people who are in the family of Jesus. And that's not to scare you. That's to kind of sober you up with alertness. That's what Peter is about to go, okay, I, I got to make sure. How do I know I'm in the family of God? And if you missed last week, this is not self-promotion, but that clarity the Holy Spirit gave us about the difference between Peter and Judas was what I think was a once-in-a-lifetime moment in the life of our church to ask the question, do I love Jesus or do I love what Jesus can do for me? And so if you missed last week, I, I cannot commend it enough to you, but the great thing about being here this week is Peter's not done with that conversation. He takes it from things that you know about your identity in Christ to what does it mean to actually take that knowledge and live it out and watch this, experience realities that could just get stuck on a page theologically. Everybody look up here, don't miss this. God doesn't want you to stop at just knowing that you are a chosen exile. He wants the knowing to produce an experience where in a very real way, the presence of God is a tangible part of your daily life. And that's why the title of this sermon, if you need a title, it's called Experiencing the Presence of God. Experiencing the Presence of God. I told a couple people that title on my way in today, and I was just so curious how this message was going to come across, and I was like, it's called Experiencing the Presence of God. And, and, and even as it just came out of my mouth, people were like, I need that. I want to know, how, how do you do that? How do you experience the presence of God? How does the knowledge of who God is become something that's actually real to me? Because, and this is just a total guess here, but I feel like across this room, or if I could come through the camera to talk to people who are watching on a screen right now and ask each one of you individually some questions about your week before God. I already asked you and made things awkward. What's your favorite part about this past week? But what if I asked you some things about your personal relationship with God? And if I asked you, hey, did you think about the scriptures at all this week? You know, in like 2021, as a Christian, that's like bonus material for the average Christian. Oh, you actually thought about the Bible, which is amazing. It's like, this is basic Christianity 101. The word of God informs our lives. But if I asked you, hey, what verses spoke to you this week? Or did you have a moment where you stepped into a conversation that made you uncomfortable and the Holy Spirit did something? Did you have moments where you discerned that God was doing something in your life? I would hope and pray that if you are a believer, you have something to say on the other side of that question. But the highest level of that question would be me asking you this. And I just want you to think about how you would respond if I asked you, did you experience the presence of God in a tangible, real, somewhat sensational way this week? And I, I don't know if the people who could confidently say yes would be more than the fingers I have on my hands. And that's sad. Now, let me clarify what I just said. I said sensational, somewhat emotional, experiential. Our faith doesn't have to include feelings for it to be real. Emotions don't make the Holy Spirit become verified. The Holy Spirit's always moving. Sometimes it's about obeying what's already previously been revealed that leads to the feelings actually flowing. So sometimes faith has to be demonstrated and feelings follow. But I am arguing today that the presence of God is something that we as believers have the opportunity to experience. 
It's not a theoretical thing up there in the sky that we're going, okay, God, we hope your presence falls on Auburn Community Church today. But that's just really based on whether or not you want to do something that we're not expecting. And if feelings hit and if emotions hit and follow, then great. But those moments are few and far in between, and we hope you do, but we don't really know whether or not you're going to do it. No, I believe we have a God who poured out his Holy Spirit so that we can know that the life of Jesus lives on the inside of us. And it's not just something we know on a page about our identity. It's a very real experience that you know that you know that you know when you're breathing God's air. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a fleeting quiet time where you had a moment of focus and a verse spoke to you. I'm talking about submission to God and knowing I'm filled with the Holy Spirit right now. And like he, I'm experiencing the life that was purchased for me. And, and you can be a Christian your entire life. And sadly, those moments can be so few and far in between that you never really become confident that you are a conduit of the Holy Spirit. And here's my main struggle as a believer. I'm 32 years old. I'm following Jesus two decades. Confession time from the pastor. I try to stay as vulnerable and as authentic as I can with you guys. The thing that frustrates me the most about my own journey spiritually is how much it takes for me to fully allow the Holy Spirit to consume all of my being. Like, I veer toward fleeting Bible verses, moments in the past where I felt God move, and just trying to hold on to the last moment God spoke to me long enough to make it through the day. Because I'm like you. I'm busy. I got a lot that God's called me to do. I got a lot of people who I'm responsible for. I got a lot that's put on my plate. And so for me, what goes on the back burner, sadly, almost immediately, is man, the presence of God is something that's available for me to tune into today. And so what I'll settle for, and what I know so many of you will settle for, is this version of devotion to Jesus that looks like you're actually above and beyond everybody else, but really you're just settling for less than you were created for. And so it's like, ah, I think about that verse, and I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get my, my heart and my mind back into that right place. And it, it would take way too much time to actually sit here and fully submit and, and lay before the Lord every part of my soul that I can possibly bear and let his breath come and fill me up so that I know I am a walking, talking, living, breathing expression of the life of Jesus on planet Earth. That would take so much effort, and it would take so much time, and, and, and he would just... He, it's not going to be immediate. It would take time for him to press on things and align things. And so I'm just willing to settle. And I know that that is not just true about me. I know that that is true for hundreds, if not thousands of people today who call Auburn Community Church their home church. And so here's the vision of where Peter's going to go today. Does the presence of God have to be something that is so fleeting? And maybe is there an ingredient or an antidote that God has given us in the scriptures that we're not paying attention to? Is there an opportunity that we have to cultivate hearts where the Holy Spirit can actually come and make his home in us? Because I'm not interested in half-hearted, sometimes Jesus shows up moments. I'm interested in New Testament Christianity where the Spirit of God emboldens and fills believers to live lives that look like they belong in the Bible. Like that's what we're going for here, y'all. So, so many of you are new. And it's, it's encouraging. Like, we love having you here. But you know, you're going to a church where we're talking about doing crazy stuff. 
Like, you know, you're like, yeah, I started reading my Bible and I started tracking in my faith and I'm asking questions and I'm in a community group and we're like, great, you just got started. Like, we got like 15 levels of building that God wants to do in your life because we will not stop short of the life Jesus died and rose for you to live. So we're not going to stop bothering you. I'm sorry. Until you are a walking, talking, living, breathing conduit of the Holy Spirit filled up to live on mission for the glory of God. And you know who you are as a son, as a daughter every day of your life. We're going to push and this is going to hurt. Today's going to be hard. Today's actually the hardest message that I've prepared all year long because it's not an attractive passage. Like when we read it, you're going to go, oh, I hate doing that stuff. Oh, I hate that I'm called to do that. That's hard. And you can run from it. Or you can step into it with an open heart and go, I want more of you, God. Because the treasure of what I'm talking about is not in the miracles that you'll see, the people that you'll reach, or the stories that you'll tell. The treasure is in the presence of Jesus. And you will go, hey, the guy he's up there talking about, like I know personally and intimately, he, like this morning, me and him are aligned. And, and the supreme satisfaction and treasure of my soul has become someone who's actually real to me. Is that something you're interested in today? If you're here and you're ready, hold up your Bible right where you're at. Hold it up, hold it up. Come on, you came with the word of God. Hold it up high. Look at somebody in your row who did it. Just kidding. Um, I love, hold them up. This is what I love. This section always has the most Bibles. Well, not necessarily today. You guys need to work on this. And I always, I always feel like this section is the most spiritual section. Not because I sit there, but because (laughs) this is like the worst seat in the room. And, and so you chose to sacrifice or you got here late and you're over here like y'all holding up your Bibles. Don't they look amazing? It's, it's great. Turn with me to first Peter chapter one, first Peter chapter one. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week in verse 13. Before we do, I, I just want us to have alert minds to what we're reading. I was checking out a commentary on First Peter this week, and I, I'd never heard this address, but it turns out 500 years ago, when Martin Luther, you know, the, the reformer who came up with so many of the doctrines that we talk about with the Protestant Reformation, they're on our wall by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, from scripture alone, for God's glory alone. He helped pioneer the movement of God that said yes to those things. And Martin Luther was asked the question 500 years ago. He was asked, what are the most essential letters of the New Testament for believers to read when they first become believers, but also to come back to repeatedly? All the Bible's important. But he was asked, in the New Testament, like, what would you say are the three have-to go-tos? And I was shocked by his answer. Not shocked by number one. He said, number one is Romans. Okay, obviously. Romans is the ultimate description of the gospel from the Apostle Paul. It's probably my favorite book of the Bible. And Romans was only written because Paul couldn't go to Rome. God closed that door. So he's like, oh, I got to write down the message I would preach to them in person. How many of you know that sometimes when God closes doors, it's for something bigger he wants to do in the world. And if you stop complaining about it, you might see that. God goes, I'm not going to let you go to Rome because there's billions of people who need to read about the message that you would say in person there, but you need to write it right here, right now. So Romans, number one, amazing letter. Number two, Martin Luther said, was the gospel of John which is typical. Like, we love John. It's everybody's favorite gospel. It's like, man, that's where you go if you're opening the Bible for the first time. Read about the life of Jesus. The characterization and the story is so creative. John's a brilliant poetic writer. It's awesome. But number three, he said, most essential letters of the New Testament for people to understand. Number three, and the final one, he said, was 1 Peter. He said, you got to know 1 
Peter, because I believe this is the playbook of what it means for a Christian to live in the world, but not of the world. And so as we're reading the words that we're reading, I just want us to have a little bit more of an open heart and an open mind today. We're going to do something that I had happen at churches I attended growing up, and I thought about it this week, and I was like, I just think we need to change up what we're doing, because I don't ever want us to get casual with the Word of God. So if some of you, this is going to feel really familiar. Would you stand for the reading of the Word of God right where you are? If you're joining us online, will you stand for the reading of the Word? I know, it feels weird, doesn't it? We'll see how this goes. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. If you're there, say, I'm there. Therefore, so in light of last week, With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake." Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and your hope are in God. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. So good. So what'd y'all think? Should we do it again? Or, all right, we'll see. Uh, that's a little non-conclusive. All right. It's powerful, y'all. So powerful. Therefore... With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. You know, one of the things about, that's unfortunate about translating ancient Greek into English is a lot of times the tenses cause a flip in word order. And so you read this, and it's a command, but you think the command has to do with what you're doing in your mind, but really the command has to do with what you're doing with your hope. So the way to read this in ancient Greek goes like this. Set your hope fully on the grace to be revealed when Jesus Christ comes by preparing your minds for action and being fully alert and sober. So the focus is not necessarily on your thought life as much as it is on what you are doing with this thing called hope, which I think is huge. If your hope is not intentionally set, it will latch on to something by default without you realizing it. Because humans, by our nature, need hope to live on. Even the most depressed person in this room, the fact that you are still living and breathing and you are in this church service or you're watching online right now is evidence that hope is still a seed that exists within you or you would have given up before. The problem is hope by nature latches on to things that are circumstantial and temporal if we don't intentionally set it on what is eternal. And so what happens is our hope without us even noticing becomes attached to unimportant things like the next vacation that we're going to take or the next dinner we have out with friends or the next opportunity we get to do something that we want to do. You don't even notice it, but a part of your being starts to latch on to hope to these things that you didn't even realize had you. And, and what happens is there's things like raises and getting more money or setting your, 
setting your sights on status or a relationship that you don't even realize it, but you have started to anchor your life toward things and outcomes that you are hoping for, not realizing that the life of a Christian is guided by hope that exists to be anchored to the coming of Jesus Christ. How do you set your hope on Jesus? You set your mind into what's called ready position. So when it says preparing your minds for action, this is a little creepy, but the literal translation of that is gird the loins of your mind. It's weird. But 2,000 years ago, in ancient Greco-Roman world, people wore these things called men, particular called togas. You ever been to a frat toga party? We'll pray for you after the service. And... Um, <laughs> So they wore these things that are like dresses, but what men had to do to get their bodies in ready position was kind of tie them up and make sure they weren't on the ground. Paul's going, yeah, yeah, tie up what's become loosened in your mind that creates the space in your mind where you're not ready for the day that you're about to have. It means make sure that you're not numb to the existence of God. Make sure what God's doing in your life is not something that's just out there that you can't sense in your heart, that you're not paying any attention to in your mind. And he goes on to say, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you have when you live in ignorance. The choice of a Christian every day is transformation or conforming. And you can either be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit or you can conform to who you used to be. One will happen and you will never by default be transformed. It will always take an intentional step of setting your hope on who God is. And so this is saying, hey, um, your identity has changed. So Peter's not calling the people of God to new behavior. He's calling them to flip how they think about who they are so the behavior follows. It's a new identity that leads to new activity, not the other way around. You are an obedient child of a father, and so here's what I want you to do. Don't conform, and here's the key verse, verse 16. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And I believe, as hard as it is to stomach, that verse is the key to experiencing the presence of God. Because you never get the presence of God without the holiness of God. That verse, if you see it in your Bible, look at it. It's got a footnote. It's got all these verses in Leviticus. Apparently, God really liked to say this to the people of God. You know who else said that verse? Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. We translate it in English, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's not what Jesus said. He said, be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. I believe the missing ingredient in our frustration to remain in the flow of the presence of God is cultivating a heart that is serious about the holiness of God. We latch on to things like the love of God, and rightfully so, for God so loved the world. First John says God is love. But do you know that's the only time in the Bible that says God is love? Do you know how many times in the Bible it says God is holy? I tried to find a count. I couldn't find one online. It's in the hundreds. Do you know the song of heaven? has three words, and it's the same word repeated over and over and over again. It's not holy, loving, worthy. It's just holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Every time somebody gets a glimpse into heaven, this is the song that's being sung. And you're like, we got angelic beings up there. We got all of heaven together. We can't be more creative. Some of the creative people in the room, you need to be a little bit intimidated, right? You're like, I could get up there and step into that moment and go, hey, guys, we can change up the lyrics a little bit. Like, we don't have to call him the same word over and over again with 100 million angels over the course of a billion years. 
Why is it that every time God is present, the attribute that gets named immediately is his holiness? Because the thing about your God that is the most true is that he is other, set apart, and higher than any other being in the created universe because he's not even created. He's not even created. He's the creator. For God to be holy, here's what it means for God to be holy. It means he's without error and without equal. It means he's got a level of power, authority, purity, goodness, and otherness that cannot accurately be compared to any other being. So we just call him holy to go, you're other, you're set apart. We don't have a word that we can think of to truly describe you in an accurate way. So we're just gonna say holy. We fall at your feet. You have no rival, you have no equal, and you never will. And it's not just that you're so powerful, it's that you have so much worth, you have so much value, you're amazing. Now when the scripture says be holy because God is holy, it's not saying, hey, you need to rise up to God's level. It's not saying you should be without error and without equal. Some people and some preachers will preach to you like, hey, you, God says be holy because I am holy. You know you're a God? No, you're not a God. You're a human being. And you're broken at that. I'm not enough unless you come, God. But here's what happens. When the, watch this, Holy Spirit comes, you now get filled with the presence of God from within. So you have the capacity to share in the holiness of God. Not that you become equally as powerful and not that you become equally as mighty or equally as worthy or pure or anything like that. But you become different and you become the walking and talking demonstration of his worth on planet earth. So watch what Peter does next. He goes into this conversation about worth and he says this, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Why does he say that? He says, hey, you need to be holy because you call on a father. Don't forget that. You're an obedient child. You have a heavenly father. He's not taken away from your identity that's already yours. But as you're calling on your father, don't forget that your heavenly father is the judge of the earth. I think some of us have become so familiar with God as father that our familiarity has become the very thing that robs us of true worship because we're no longer in awe of his power. We're no longer in awe of the fact that he's going to judge the earth. And he's not just going to go, heaven, hell, heaven, hell, thank, next, 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 let's get this over with so we can have a party. No, like scriptures teach and Jesus taught that every human life is to stand before God and give account. And not like, okay, well, I messed up in a thousand different ways. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. I'm saved. Like, no, you're saved. But like, you're going to have to stand before God and be accountable for the way you conducted yourself in your family, for the way you used the breath God has given you on planet earth. And that doesn't mean you're going to lose your salvation based on conduct. It just means this should sober up your mind to go, I'm accountable for the breath that I've been given, and I'm calling on a father, and this causes me to worship not just with relational friendship, but also with reverent fear, to where God is, he's my father, and he is not familiar and then he shows us, this is one of the most brilliant comparisons. He shows us the difference between being purchased by money and being purchased by blood. He says, you are not purchased with perishable things like silver or gold. Silver or gold find their value in being differentiated from other commodities. Do not miss this. What makes silver and gold valuable is that they're rare. 
And he goes, you weren't purchased with rare metals that are perishable in this earth. You were purchased with an imperishable commodity called the blood of Jesus Christ. So the blood of Jesus is not intended to just be a reminder of your shame and sin on the cross. The blood of Jesus is supposed to be the public revealing of your value so you can know what you are worth in the sight of God. The blood of Jesus means this is what it costs to redeem your life from hell and sin and darkness. You could not be more valuable in the sight of God. But watch this. You're not supposed to receive that truth and go, man, it feels good to be a child of God. I'm so glad I know my worth before God. I get to sit here and just enjoy being a child of God. It makes you discover I'm worth more so I can't cheapen the price that has been paid for my life with a lifestyle that's totally unaware of what's been paid for me to be purchased. That's what holiness is. Holiness is an awareness of I know what I'm worth. You want to know the main way you can redeem someone's daily destructive decisions is by implanting and growing a sense of worth. This is why so many people who have an estranged relationship with their dad end up making destructive decisions, particularly in the realm of dating and relationships, because there was this part of them that was supposed to be instilled with worth. You were supposed to hear your dad say, I'm proud of you. You were supposed to hear your dad say, I love you. You were supposed to hear your dad look at you in the face and tell you, you are mine, you are valued, you are worth it, I am for you. And some of you had that, but watch this, some of you didn't. And you know on the backside of that, there's all these issues that you got to work through. Why? Because the worth that was supposed to be planted leads to a lifestyle of awareness. And for some of you, the greatest journey you're going to go on in your relationship with God is discovering that you have a heavenly father who's available and has spoken all of those things over you by the cross. And the more you receive that worth, the more you live your worth. I love the statement, know your worth. I think it's great. But I think a better one is live your worth. It's one thing to know something. It's another thing to walk it out and be aware of it. And this is saying, holiness, holiness, y'all look up here, don't miss this. Holiness is not about graduating to a higher level of morality or fixing some behavioral issues. Holiness is, is about understanding I have a greater sense of worth of what my life is valued at. And so I make decisions according to who I am now. And so I'm getting this sermon ready this week and I'm so frustrated because I felt like the call from God on this sermon was to help you reframe the word holy as something you want instead of something you recoil away from and run from because it seems impossible. And so I'm like, how, how do I get in front of this group of people and go, you want to experience the presence of God? You got to get your heart, you got to get your mind around the word holy. And you got to learn how to let the holiness of God become something that you are serious about. And so I'm kind of, I'm struggling and reaching for ways that I can motivate you guys. And I'm struggling and reaching for ways that I can motivate myself because this message is reading me more than I'm reading it. And I'm going, oh gosh, I got a million things I need to work on. How do I make holiness dead center as the thing that you want more than anything? And then I remembered this quote that my wife sent to me when we were dating in college. And the moment she sent this to me, I was like, that's my wife. <laughs> that is not just girlfriend. That is my wife. Here's what she sent me. We'll put it on the screen. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. Robert Murray McShane, pastor in Scotland in the 1800s. Guys in the room, your girl sends a text like that, buy the ring now. <laughs> Do not hesitate. I got that text from her, and, and she knew I was studying to be a pastor, and I, I had no idea who this guy was. 
but I knew that that line described the call of God on my life. I want God to look on planet earth, and when he reaches for a weapon to annihilate the armies of hell, he finds my life first. But here's what's striking about this statement and striking about the writer is when he names what's effective about a minister of the gospel, he doesn't name gifts and skills. He names holiness. It doesn't say a good orator is an awful weapon in the hand of God. It doesn't say somebody who understands the culture and preaches in a way that's relevant is an awful weapon. It says a holy minister. And the word holy means to be set apart. And so even as I'm standing in this moment, I know for me, the value of what God has called me to do in life is directly correlated to whether or not I've actually submitted to personal holiness. What's interesting about this guy is almost all of his writings are about personal holiness. And he died when he was only 29 years old. So this guy was a pastor in Scotland from the time he was 21 to 29. He had a pretty big church. 4,000 people attended his funeral. He was sick most of the time during his ministry, died too soon. He was engaged when he passed away, so he was never married and quick to be forgotten, except somebody found his journal. And inside of his memoirs was discovered some of the greatest writings that we have to this day about personal holiness in the life of a believer. And so people start printing his stuff and going, hey, nobody's ever read this, but he left this behind, and they just happened to discover this. And if you Google Robert Murray McShane quotes, all you will see is personal holiness, personal holiness, personal holiness, and it will read you like a book. And I read one this week, and I was like, our church is not going to be motivated by a holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. That motivates me, but the rest of you are like, I don't really want to be an awful weapon. I more so just want to be submitted to God. Fine, this one's for you. Read this. Check this out. I am persuaded that I shall obtain the highest amount of present happiness. I shall do most for God's glory and the good of man, and I shall have the fullest reward in eternity by maintaining a conscience always washed in Christ's blood, by being filled with the Holy Spirit at all times, and by attaining the most entire likeness to Christ in mind, will, and heart that is, that it is possible for a redeemed sinner to attain in this world. Come on. He says, I'm, I'm persuaded that my life is about three things. My highest level of happiness, my personal impact for the glory of God, and my reward in heaven. If you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus, you want that. The first one might make you uncomfortable, but maybe you need to discover that it's actually holiness that leads to happiness, not having cheap desires fulfilled. Having the desires of God from within you being fulfilled is actually true happiness in this world. So he says, I'm, I'm convinced that the highest amount of happiness, and I don't mean like circumstantial happiness, I mean like joy, deep delighting in God. I'm convinced that the three things I really want out of this life, which is I want to be as happy as I can possibly be. Do you want that? I want to have the most impact I can possibly have for the glory of God. If you're here and you know Jesus, that's what you want out of life. And I want the greatest reward I can possibly have eternally. We never talk about this, but the fact that we're going to be rewarded in heaven on the back end of how we conduct ourselves this side of heaven is mind-blowing. I don't even know how to explain it. I just know it's supposed to motivate us. He says, my sight is set on those three things. Here's how I get there. A conscience washed in the blood of Christ filled with the Holy Spirit, and as much as I can control, total submission in body, mind, and soul to the likeness of Jesus. You want to know what those three things are called? Holiness. 
I'm saying the holiness of God is actually the pathway to the life you were created for. And I know that it's also the pathway to the presence of God. So if you're here, do not miss this. Look up here. This is the best part. This is the part I've been waiting to unleash on you. If you're here and you're like, okay, I want to be holy as God is holy. I want that. I want the life that you're talking about. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to waste the breath that God's given me. Here's what's great. You can't because you're common and you're sinful and you're inconsistent and you're broken. You have more wrong with you than is right with you. You are a mess. You are dysfunctional. You are a problem. And you'll never be holy. Let's close in prayer. Father, like, like, it's like, <laughs> I want that. Impossible. God is. Here's what's amazing. When God invites you to follow Jesus, he doesn't say, come with me. Let's go on this journey. He goes, hold on a second. I got to come in you before we go anywhere. That power is not a, a ghost in the sky. That power is a person, and his name is Holy Spirit. So when Holy Spirit comes on the inside of you and fills you up, you not only have a connection to holiness, you become and embody the truest expression of what it means for the holiness of Jesus to be revealed on planet Earth. You are now a conduit, a walking and talking, breathing, carrying power of the life of Jesus on the inside of you. And all the Holy Spirit needs to start breathing and coming through your life is access. And that's what you and I won't give him. Because giving the Holy Spirit full access, what did Robert Murray McShane talk about? My body, my soul, my spirit, all of me submitted to you. That's what we won't do. We'll read the verses and we'll, we'll journal and we'll pray and we'll sing a song. But giving God full access to your being takes time and effort. It does. I cannot describe holiness and get in front of you today and go, this is easy. I got this secret ingredient. It's called the Holy Spirit. Just do these three steps and he'll breathe on your life. Y'all, very few people are walking in this because it's rare and it's hard. Anything that's great in this life comes at a great cost. And that's why Peter is going, hey, the cost of your life is the blood of Jesus. Don't cheapen the experience you've been given. But I can't lie to you and act like what I'm about to ask you to do is easy. It is not. I cannot act like it is quick. It is not. But I will promise you that it's effective. It is effective. What, what are you talking about? I'm talking about changing your morning routine from just trying to make sure you do some type of prayer or some type of Bible reading to planning on having a daily time to get your body, soul, and mind in full submission to the Spirit of God. Full submission. And like letting it happen, and as it happens, address where it's not happening. So here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to live out Psalm 143, verse 8. You don't got to turn there. I'll just read it real quick. Psalmist writes, let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. This is what I'm trying to live every day. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love. Steadfast love is one of the attributes of Yahweh. Not attributes, it's just part of who he is. It means commitment over time, regardless of circumstance. Let me hear it in the morning. You can't hear it in the morning if you're not listening. So I've got to, I've got to tune my, my, my ears to hear about the love of God, and then what? And then what? 
Make me know the way I should go. For to you, I lift up my soul. Here's the secret. When you lift up your soul to God, full submission to the Holy Spirit looks like taking inventory of your whole being, your whole body, your, all of your desires, all that you're carrying right now, all, every relationship, and bringing it all before the Lord and going, God, I am a living sacrifice. And when I say you can have it all, I mean it. You know, every time you've ever sang the lyric, I surrender, or you can have it all, Jesus, you know, every time you've ever said that, you've lied to God. Don't you love the blood of Jesus? And he's like, I'll even forgive your attempts at praise that are really lies. Because you'll start to pray, and you'll go, God, you have every part of me. And very quickly, Holy Spirit shows up and is like, mm, no, I don't. Here's where there's agreements, and here's where you're bound to who you used to be, and here's where you're bitter. And here's what I need to address. And here's what, we're not moving any further in this prayer until you go write that check and be obedient. We're not going any further in this prayer until you text that person and say, I'm sorry, or let's talk later. We're not going any further until you do the last thing I told you to do. And all of a sudden, you got this awareness of the Holy Spirit of God where you're like, I thought it was just a magical formula. God, make me a conduit of your spirit. But it's actually an exercise where you look inwardly and you go, Lord, here I am, here I am to you. I lift up my soul. And what I've started doing is started naming everything. God, every fiber of my being, bring it into alignment with what your spirit wants. And all he does when I do that is reveal what's not in alignment. You ever gotten a chiropractic adjustment? It's awesome. Mine are loud. It's just cracks everywhere. Why? Because what's happening is there's pressure being put to align you back to where you were supposed to be. You ever, you ever seen what Matt does every time he comes up here when I pray? No, you don't, because your eyes are closed. But what he, what he does during the time that I preach, because as I preach, his guitar is just sitting over there. You wanna know what's happening? His strings are getting out of tune. So what he does really quick when I pray to close a sermon is he grabs his guitar and he starts tuning each string. How does he do it? He tightens some and he loosens some and he sets the instrument back into alignment where it was supposed to be. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit starts to get access to every fiber of your being. Yeah, we need to, we need to tighten up your thinking here because you've let in some thoughts that you haven't even noticed are against my ways. And, you, and we need to loosen this up because you haven't taken a breath in my presence in like a week. Why don't you take a rest and plan for a day off and let me speak? And all of a sudden, you give Holy Spirit access and he's like, okay, I'm, I'm rushing in with living water, but I can't flow where you're not open and where you're not available. And so I wanna invite our church, we gotta learn how to get alone with God long enough to give him full access. And here's the bad news about this. He can't do this when you try to squeeze him into a short period on your drive to work. I mean, he can, he's God, he can do whatever, but I'm telling you, the power of the Holy Spirit is on the other side of full alignment and going, God, the most important thing I do today is create space for you to tune my heart. Here's the whole message in one statement, and I promise we're gonna sing. Tune your heart by lifting your soul to God. I want you to learn how to press against routine, ritual moments with God and lift your soul to heaven and go, I'm yours. Y'all, you could settle for the rest of your life for half-hearted times with the Lord. You'll probably make a difference for the kingdom of God. You'll probably lead people to Jesus and you'll probably pass as a Christian here and hopefully you'll get into heaven. I'm just kidding. You know last week whether or not you're going to heaven. Um, 
y'all, I'm just not interested in getting by. And if you're here, we have so many people who are new, welcome. We're gonna bother you because we're not interested in you just getting by. We will not settle for less than making our lives look like they belong in the New Testament of the Bible. And so I gotta I got push the envelope a little more to go, you need more in your time with the Lord than checking the boxes of making sure you actually did it today. You need the frame of mind to go, I will not settle. And, and even as I do it, I'm going, Holy Spirit, every part of me, every thought, I'm going through my cares and I'm casting them on you. Every part of me is open to you. Oh, no, it's not. All right, all right. God, I'm not moving from this space until my life has become fully aligned and submitted and surrendered. And you do that, I'm telling you. So much of it will feel like a fight. You'll feel like your soul is tightening up and almost like you're getting ready to take a breath. And all of a sudden, wind. And the Holy Spirit goes, I'm here. He was here the whole time. You just finally created the pathway for it to become real to you. This morning, I did that. And that lyric to that song, not for a minute was I forsaken. The Lord is in this place. You want to know what that lyric's from? Jacob. When Jacob encounters God at Bethel, and he says, the Lord was here, and I didn't know it. Bethel means house of God. It means God is in this place. But Jacob said that perplexed, like, I didn't even know, but he was here. So when the Holy Spirit speaks, it's not like you're going to go, yes, finally, you made it from heaven. It's where you're going to go, finally, I'm in tune to what was mine all along. The Lord is in this place. And that line, not for a minute was I forsaken, just had me feeling the Holy Spirit in all kinds of ways because I was like, you mean like every, every minute that I've sinned, every minute that I've walked away from you? He's going, yeah, never once in heaven have we looked down and thought, I wonder if Miles is, is one of ours. Hey, you need to breathe in the presence of God and let the Holy Spirit tell you. It's never been debatable in heaven whether or not you belong to him. You're his. So we're going to practice this message right here and right now. I have no idea what God's going to say to you because it's going to be different for you. It's going to be different for you. It's going to be different for you through a screen. But we believe in this time. What if you actually did what I'm talking about? Now you can cross your arms and read the lyrics on the screen. You can totally do that. We'll see you next week. Father's Day at ACC. It's going to be a great message. Matt Cole's bringing the word of God. It's going to be powerful. We'll see you then. But man, what would it look like if everybody in here was like, all right, I'm going to try. I got one song before I leave. Every fiber of my being submitted and surrendered to God. God, align my heart to your heart. And if you do it today and you do it tomorrow and you do it Tuesday and you do it after you've gone days of forgetfulness and you're at the end of yourself, I'm telling you, you are going to start to live a life that is a conduit of the very presence of the power of God. So stand up all over this place. Band's gonna come up here. If you're joining us online, you can stand up right where you're at. All I wanna do is give you the space to have the conversation you need to have with God and create openness for the Holy Spirit. Would you bow your head with us? Heavenly Father, you're speaking to people right now. I know you are. I know that there are people who have been desperate to know how your presence actually moves in us, God. So if we need to fall on our knees and cry out, if we need to do whatever we need to do in this moment to demonstrate in front of heaven, God, we're open. Help us to do that. Do not let us settle for fleeting moments of devotion in your presence. 
we totally submit, we totally surrender. And God, as soon as I say that, I'm aware of things in me that are not submitted and surrendered. God, I pray you do that for thousands of people right now and lovingly open their hands. Show them what true submission and surrender looks like to your spirit. We give this moment to you. We give our whole church to you. We ask you to build people's lives on the real power of the presence of God. Thank you that your presence is going out all over the world right now. But you're here right now. You're speaking. Tune our hearts. Tune our minds. Don't let us miss it, God. In Jesus' name, amen.